Hey there, welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week, I'm showing Scotty Boy a new movie. That's right, some girl power situations going on here. Indeed, indeed. We are watching Thelma and Louise. Yes, released in 1991, the year of my birth. Ah, oh dear. So I came into this movie, before we get into the, all your fun facts and stuff. Yeah, I, w- I was curious when we started watching this, what you knew about Thelma and Louise going in. Uh, so I knew the ending. Everyone knows the ending, yes. <laughs> the way I thought Thelma and Louise was, I thought it was a crime movie. Like, I thought it was akin to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or... Well, it is... There are similarities to that. Bonnie and Clyde. Right. That's what I, I thought it was like, oh, these two girls go on the crime spree and they're running from the cops. Yeah, I mean, it's not... They don't go into it with the intention of engaging in a crime spree but eventually that's basically what it becomes yeah there, there are similarities yeah but that's not how this movie starts oh no the beginning of this movie it gives off a very different vibe but i was super 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 excited to show scott this movie because it's just it's just fucking great and it's like i said girl power to the nth degree and just the, the history behind this film, the impact it had on cinema in general, it, uh, it does my heart good. Yeah, and it's our second movie in a number of weeks starring uh, Susan Sarandon. Yes, the queen, Susan Sarandon, who also, as she did in Bull Durham, she, in this movie, plays a kind of badass, like, streetwise, smart aleck woman. And we love that for her. And I think in real life... She's one of those actresses that, you know, even during this time when this movie was getting made, there weren't really movies like this. There were not movies where there were two female leads and they were going on, as Scott said, a crime spree, right? That kind of thing didn't really exist. But I think that's kind of what drove both Susan Sarandon and the other co-lead Gina Davis to this movie is that there wasn't anything like it and Susan Sarandon specifically was very much so tuned in on the character of Louise and wanted to do her justice and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit in more detail as we as we go along but Scotty I just want like a general idea before we get into the nitty-gritty here and in my aforementioned fun facts how did you feel about this movie were you surprised by how good it was did you hate it did you love it tell me how you felt uh i actually enjoyed it quite a bit i thought susan's random was great i thought gina davis was great the two of them have great chemistry definitely the movie's fucking star-studded oh yeah we're gonna get to the cast uh, and yeah, it just reminded me how freaking good it is. And I'm so glad we're talking about it. Uh, not just for the sake of the movie, but like I said, for the, the cultural impact. Because I feel like now, you know, a movie about a badass female character, it's it's not as common as maybe like a male, right, still. But it's definitely more common now and not as crazy to think about. Well, not only that, if you look at now. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you get these badass female characters 
And a lot of people think, oh, this is pandering. But when you have it like this, where you have characters like Velma and Louise, like Ripley, like Princess Leia, mm-hmm. like these characters who are very good characters and are badasses onto themselves, this is what people want. Correct. And uh, it's so crazy because when I was doing research uh, about this movie and really kind of diving into the production of it, the woman that wrote this film, her name is Callie Corey, and uh, she went along through most of her early career like producing and directing music videos. And this was like the first film she ever wrote. And she was shopping it around forever to like different studios and stuff. And pretty much every studio was like, no, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing we want to female leads in like an action type, like, you know, vengeance movie. It just doesn't seem like, especially with the ending, which of course we'll get to when we get there. But the ending is so powerful and so unheard of at that time, especially again with female characters in there, that no, nobody really wanted to touch it except Ridley Scott who ended up directing the movie and co-producing it obviously we we know Ridley Scott he did Alien which we talked about in another episode of our show Blade Runner uh most recently House of Gucci but we don't have to talk about (laughs) that oh no we definitely don't have to talk about House of Gucci but he believed in this movie and he didn't want to direct it at first. He wanted to try to find the perfect person to direct it. But no one else was really getting the vision of the movie the way he got it. So eventually people were just like, well, why don't you just direct it then? Because you clearly get it in a way nobody else does, really. And that's what ended up happening. Actually, Callie Corey wanted to direct it as well. But the studio was like, no, we want a name behind this. Because in their minds, no one's going to go see this movie unless there's a big name behind it. So that's why Ridley Scott ended up directing. I do wonder. I actually think there is a person who would be very good at this movie if they got their hands on it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's his brother. Oh, my God. I love that you said that. Can I tell you what I have written in my yeah. notes? Ahem. Ridley Scott originally wanted his brother Tony to direct the film. Uh, Tony Scott is, of course, behind movies like Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, True Romance, which is a movie that is awesome. And I still have to show Scott. It's so fucking good. Ugh. But anyway, yeah, he originally thought Tony would be good at it. But then Tony was like, yeah, I don't really get it. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so yeah that but they went through a lot of names i think uh also richard donner was in the mix for a while he loved the script but then like it, it fell apart in negotiations but anyway it, it ended up in the right hands i think because ridley scott is such a visual director and this movie relies a lot on the visuals oh yeah it's gorgeous to look at because they picked the right like mountainscapes yeah it looks great the movie takes place basically on a road trip let's call it that for right now starting in arkansas and ending up somehow in the grand canyon we'll we'll get there (laughs) but um yeah it was filmed throughout california and utah and just these like great landscapes whether it be desert or mountains greens browns sunlight beauty of the highways and byways it's just it's really cool and it just shows like the epicness of this journey that these girls are going on um and also i i feel the need to bring up the fact that the great han zimmer 
composed the score for this movie. The score is also such a highlight. Yeah. Obviously, like Scott says, the movie starts off in a completely different place from where it ends, right? So in the beginning, you get kind of like a southern twang of it, but very kind of chill and just opening the movie kind of light and airy a little bit. And then by the end of the movie, the score has just evolved into this like tense, dramatic, like overwhelming dread you feel in your heart for these two main characters that you have completely fallen in love with and but you know what's coming down the pike and it's just every inch of that emotion is just captured in the music and that's really what score is supposed to be in a film and not only like we talk about the score and we've mentioned both lead actresses but both lead actresses and i would classify that they're both lead actresses absolutely yeah because they both well they, they let's just put it this way at the Oscars, and we're going to get to the Oscar info in a second, they're both nominated for lead actress. It makes sense because they both take turns being top dog in this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they both evolve as characters, I would say. But really, I mean, Gina Davis's character, Thelma, really does the most dramatic evolution of character in that she kind of... She really sets herself free in a lot of ways as a person. So, as I mentioned, this movie is incredibly impactful culturally. It became a part of the National Film Registry in the year 2016. It has a Rotten Tomato score of 86% with critics. It has a budget of $16.5 million and made a worldwide gross of $45.4 million. Pretty good. And it was nominated for six Oscars, unfortunately only winning one. But the one Oscar that it did get is so iconic and so powerful and so important. Callie Corey won for original screenplay. She also won the Golden Globe that year for her screenplay for Thelma and Louise. And it's important that she won because a woman had not won original screenplay since the year 1932, and this is 1992, I believe, when the Oscars yeah. happened. So for 60 years, a woman had not won original screenplay. It's just, it's just such a powerful statement that, uh, you know, us bitches, we, we can write too. Us bitches, we can do anything you asshole men can do. That That's also another thing for this movie. When it first came out, there was a bit of controversy that it was anti-men. And even Scott at one point in the movie was like, oh, wow, so men are just all assholes, huh? And I'm like, no, not all of them. <laughs> I was joking. No, I know, I know. But it's some people I'm sure weren't joking. And, like, we'll get to it, but I don't think the point of the movie is that men are assholes. I think the point of the movie is that some men are assholes and women are just supposed to, by society's standards, just take it and accept that they're assholes if they are. But yeah, the other Oscars it was nominated for, again, as I said before, both of our leads were nominated for lead actress, and they both lost <laughs> to uh, Jodie Foster for Silence of the Lambs. Well, again, split the vote there. <laughs> uh, also, Ridley Scott lost for director to Jonathan Demme for Silence of the Lambs, and the movie also was nominated for cinematography and editing, which we mentioned with the, the great visuals for the movie. Uh, makes perfect sense why those nominations happened but uh yeah it's it's an iconic film and um yeah i'm just really excited to talk about it <laughs> so are we ready to get into the nitty and the gritty why yes sir i think we are 
So we meet Thelma, played by Gina Davis. We, of course, have talked about her before uh, when we did episodes on Beetlejuice and Long Kiss Goodnight. We also have to mention, of course, that the infamous film A League of Their Own was done just a year after this one. So obviously Gina is killing the game right now. Uh, We also have Louise, played by Susan Sarandon. We obviously just talked about her with Bull Durham. And um, Thelma is very much a typical southern housewife. Very meek, very subdued when she's with her husband, Daryl, who's played by Christopher McDonald. (laughs) Yeah, when he's not, you know, golfing on the golf course, yelling at Adam Sandler, you know. (laughs) Yes, uh, most people I feel like would know Christopher McDonald from his role as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. (laughs) But, uh, you know, he once again plays a complete asshole in this movie. (laughs) I mean, borderline abusive, I would say, with Gina Davis. No, he's abusive, and I definitely think he's cheating on her. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's implied, but I mean, compared to all the bullshit that goes on in this movie, I mean, you know, it's like the last thing on the list of things to worry about. you're cheating on Gina Davis. I mean, true. (laughs) But then we have Louise, who is this very, like, streetwise, as I said, smart-ass waitress gal, and uh, she's, she's very with it. Uh, a lot less naive than dear Thelma, but they are BFFs. Louise is a little pissed off, we established in the beginning, because her uh, kind of in-and-out boyfriend, Jimmy, who is a musician that's always on the road, he is not home like he said he would be, so, you know, she's a little pissed off at him, and, you know, Thelma's a little fed up with her husband being an asshole, so Thelma and Louise, BFFs, they're like, we're gonna go away for the weekend to some cabin in the woods and go fishing, and Thelma's like, I don't know how to fish, and Louise is like, who gives a shit, neither do I, let's just go. <laughs> so that's the that's how we start off our movie. Then we get a montage of them getting ready to the song Wild Nights. <laughs> a Chekhov's gun moment where Thelma opens like a drawer in her dresser and there's a gun sitting there and it just is like off screen and not even thought about again for like a hot minute (laughs) but like it's so obvious if you're someone that watches movies regularly you're like oh someone's gonna use that gun soon (laughs) so the girls go on their road trip they're having a grand old time Thelma is ready to let her hair down and be wild and free. Well, we f- do find out that her and Shooter have been married since they were very young. Right. And Thelma is just like, we're out. We're going to party. Let's just fucking do this. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Good. But even, but even Luis is like, Thelma, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they do a pit stop at like a roadhouse bar. Thelma ends up flirting with and dancing with this fucking scumbag named harlan this is around the time where things go left louise runs to the bathroom and she's like okay i'm gonna go to the bathroom and then we're gonna leave Thelma, okay bye goes to the bathroom and then thelma's left with harlan and you can tell she's very drunk okay and this is where scott was like oh shit and then literally as we're taking the left hand turn into oh shitsville scott realized oh no <laughs> so um sadly they go out into the parking lot and 
you know, Thelma is able to catch her breath a little bit, tries to go back inside, and Harlan attacks her. It's a very real and very raw attempted rape scene. Um, and it's it's really hard to watch. And then Louise, being the BFF that she is, she rushes in to save the day. Pulling the gun. Pulling Thelma's gun. The whole thing was established. She, Thelma took the gun from her house, but she doesn't know how to use it. So she literally gives it to Louise to hold on to. And she puts it in her purse uh, for it to just come out at this very moment. Louise saves her and they're walking away. And Harlan yells back at them, tells them to <laughs> suck his dick. Then she goes, if a girl's crying like that, oh, she's yeah. not having fun. Of course. And yeah. then Harlan goes, I should have just raped her. Yeah. And well, he didn't call her rape. He said I should have just fucked her. Yeah, I should have just fucked her. And in a fit of clear, very raw rage from Louise, she points the gun at him and shoots him right in the chest. And this starts off a whole argument of, do we go to the cops and claim self-defense? What I do like about this part, we don't get a moment to think, really. Like, we're very much in the situation with Thelma and Louise in that they just get in the car, drive away. You know, Thelma's like, oh, we need to go to the police. Louise is like, no, they won't believe us. And it's just all very, like, rapid-fire thoughts, very scatterbrained, obviously, of course. I mean, the guy was a scumbag, but, like, Louise still shot him. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a lot to well, take in, so... But also, we get a lot from Susan Sarandon here. I want to say this is her second-best acting moment in the movie. Because when Susan Sarandon basically, in tears, shoots him in the chest, you're like... Oh, she's been through this. And it she doesn't have to say it. Right. She does it's just the way she acts it. Yeah, there is a a running thing throughout the movie because eventually Louise does decide, listen, whether you come with me or not, Thelma, I'm leaving. I'm going to Mexico. They're in Arkansas and she wants to go to Mexico but she doesn't want to drive through Texas. And it's never flat out said that that's what it is, but it is heavily implied that she was assaulted while she was living in Texas. The way that they portray just the trauma of sexual assault, I feel like is very, it's very powerful and it's very necessary to have on film. And I appreciate that, obviously, as a woman, but also just as someone who is a fan of cinema and movies and believes that 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 avenue of creativity can really reach so many people and help so many people. Like, I'm sure women that have watched Thelma and Louise have been impacted just by that aspect of the film, not just by, like, the badassery of Thelma and Louise, but also by the way that they deal with their trauma from being assaulted. Yeah, exactly. It's an important story to tell and to show these two women actively dealing with this trauma is is very important. And both women portray it very differently, yes. but very believably. Yes. The even more sad thing is that the first instinct that Louise has when Thelma says we have to go to the police is that, no, we can't. They won't believe us. And that's the even more tragic thing about it also. So... I mean, when Hollywood executives during this time are like, oh, no one's going to want to see a movie with two female leads. 
being badass independent queens and you know running from the law and you know not being really at all ladylike let's put it that way maybe not you know maybe that's not what Hollywood was used to at this time but it doesn't mean that it's not a worthwhile story and a a story based in realism that needs to be told so I, I give this movie and the people behind it a lot of credit just for that aspect of it right Louise like I said, she does say to Thelma, listen, I'm going to go to Mexico. And Thelma is like on the fence at first of whether or not she wants to go. But Thelma, after uh, making a call on a payphone to her lovely husband, Daryl, she does decide that, yeah, she's going to go. She The, the conversation, the first conversation she has with Daryl on the phone is actually fucking amazing because instead of him being like, oh, I miss you, baby. I love you. He acts like a complete asshole and tells her she needs to get her ass home and that Louise is such a terrible influence on her, this, that, and the other thing. And then Thelma, in a a beautiful act of independence and standing up for herself, finally, she just hangs up the phone, tells him to go fuck himself, and then uh, she goes to Louise and said, all right, let's go to Mexico. The idea that this movie is anti-men... I can understand why, you know, snowflake dudes in the 90s would say that because a lot of the guys in this movie are assholes. But as we go through the movie, there are some guys who aren't assholes, particularly after all this is said and done. We get obviously the other side of this movie, which is the police investigation into this guy Harlan's murder. Right. And. That investigation is led by a detective named Hal, who works with the Arkansas State Police. He is played by Harvey Keitel, who we all know and love. We talked about him not that long ago when we did an episode on Moonrise Kingdom. He had a very small part in that movie, but we all know him, I feel like, mainly as kind of a Tarantino staple, right? He's actually in Reservoir Dogs the year after this movie. And uh, he is a a glowing example of a decent guy in this movie. Because even though he works for the law and wants to find Thelma and Louise, when they eventually figure out that Louise shot this guy, he wants to bring her in alive and, like, help her. And he believes that this guy Harlan, because I think it's established in the very beginning when he goes to the bar that, like, he knows of this guy Harlan and that he's a scumbag. And he also learns about... Louise's history in Texas and he sympathizes a lot with her and wants to help her. That's the other scene that I feel like was great for Susan Sarandon too, who's saying very little, is that second phone call she has with Harvey Keitel. Oh yeah. Where he says, I know what happened to you in Texas and the look on her face tells you everything. The whole thing in Texas probably also does play into why her relationship with Jimmy's rocky half the time. Right. Yeah, the thing, the whole stuff with Jimmy, too, is really, it's kind of sad. I mean, he he kind of, like, he's a decent guy in the movie, too. Yeah. Because he clearly cares about Louise. Jimmy is, uh, as we've said before, Louise's boyfriend. He's the person that Louise calls when she needs help. She, She needs somebody to wire her her savings so she can get the hell out of Dodge. And... Jimmy, who's played by Michael Madsen, who is also a Tarantino staple and in Reservoir Dogs in 92, (laughs) he shows up for her despite the fact that he is historically kind of like a come and go kind of boyfriend. He's a musician, you know, but he shows up for her 
and wants to help her. Is he a perfect guy? No. No, definitely not. But but him and Luis have a functioning relationship. Yeah. You know, both of them probably... He's the musician who's, you know, doesn't want to be tied down and she's kind of got a lot of baggage with this Texas stuff. Right. I mean, and she's, so, she's very guarded and emotionally yeah. maybe not fully available. Yeah. But both of them find something in each other then both of them acted very well yeah i mean romance really isn't a big aspect of the movie right but when it comes to the connection between louise and jimmy that's displayed in the film when he shows up in person to this motel to give louise her savings and try to help her and get her to tell him what's going on and he proposes to her and they spend the night together it's like like Scott was saying, they these are two people who are clearly kind of fucked up, but they cl- also clearly very much care for each other. And I think Louise even says it in the scene with him, you know, just bad timing. Like maybe in another life they could have worked. Ships Sh- passing in the night. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's sad. I mean, that last kit because the, they spend the night together and the next day they go and say their goodbyes and like they share a kiss together in the diner. That, like, whew, took my breath away. Just, like, sitting there watching. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, apparently all the waitresses got hot and heavy with it, too, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you don't often see, you know, two grown-ass people making out like they're never going to see each other again over, like, moons over their hammy. Like, you don't generally see that at 9 a.m. on a Sunday or something. So, <laughs> now that we talk about Louise's relationship with Jimmy, now I feel like we got to talk about Thelma's little relationship with J.D., played by brad pitt obviously from many many much movies fight club we talked about on the show uh oceans 11 comes exactly 10 years after this movie um we just watched a brad pitt movie recently in the theater we watched bullet train which is a lot of fun it was a lot of fun jd is this hot guy he's a hot guy yeah who thelma is immediately like attracted to she's like sexually like this guy which like fair it's brad pitt honey it's interesting with their connection he kind of accepts this wilder side of her that has now started to come out Mm -hmm. slowly but surely and we do find out he's a criminal when they first pick him up thelma is like oh he's so polite and louise is like i don't think this is a good idea (laughs) we are on the run from the law and you want to invite some hot young thing into our car no thank you but eventually they do let him along for for their little ride and yes we do eventually find out that he's a little shyster and a criminal but he is very nice to thelma and he is very hot but you know (laughs) well the thing is okay so you know (laughs) okay i I do want to talk about this real quick because i think a lot of people would put brad pitt in the bad guy category if you were trying to yes no there's no way we're not making him a bad guy he's a bad guy no okay just because he's hot no 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 and he had sex with thelma and gave her a rocking night of sex does not mean he's not a bad guy because the next morning he wakes up and steals all the money yes i know that and i understand that but i do want to point this out he i don't think his character is as black and white as that I mean, okay, but he is an armed robber. I'm not again. I not a good guy, but I think I would say he's a better person than Chris McDonald. Mm. 
Yeah. I mean, well, okay. There's an interesting way to think about this. I think he robs out of necessity, not out of... Okay, that's probably true. But, like, did he have to rob Thelma and Louise? No, no. he didn't have to, but... He just wanted to. I think he... Do Let's put it this way. Do I think that JD genuinely liked Thelma? Yes. I, I do agree that maybe he just took advantage of the opportunity because he was left alone in the room and then just left. I, I Do I think he's 100% evil? No. I mean, no. I think I think if you're doing a morality, like chart he's square in the middle i wouldn't say square in the middle i'd say he's more over to the evil side he's like mid evil most evil is harlan yes second most is probably chris mcdonald and then right above him like right above him is jd well no then there's the truck driver that keeps fucking with them while they're driving and making googly eyes at them and making obscene gestures so he's somewhere in there too but the, the great thing that comes out of Brad Pitt being in this movie, other than just, you know, Brad Pitt is in this movie and he's hot and he's young and he's cute. There's also probably one of the more iconic scenes in the movie. Brad Pitt as JD is explaining to Thelma how he robs people. He uh, demonstrates how he goes into a store and he uses a hairdryer as a gun, you know, and like mimics the whole thing. Simon says, everybody down on the floor. Now, nobody loses their head, then nobody loses their head. Uh, you, sir. Yeah, you do the honors. Take that cash, you put it in that bag right there. You got an amazing story to tell your friends. If not, well, you got a tag on your toe. You decide. So, you know, it's okay because he's hot that he's a thief, I guess is what Scott's saying. Oh, no. he's he's. I, I think he's our modern day, like, I rob because I ha- He's our modern day Aladdin. No. Aladdin didn't hold guns to people and like or not they didn't have guns in Agrabah but (laughs) they like he never threatened to kill anyone I wouldn't say he's Aladdin dear he stole from food and I'll say he's morally ambiguous but he's still an asshole because he stole six over six thousand dollars from these two ladies who gave him a ride like you're an asshole oh no I'm not saying again I'm not saying he's not an asshole I'm just saying he is he is our gray area of this movie, and he does lead to Gina Davis kind of taking the reins of this operation. Yeah, that it's a great turning point actually for Thelma because in this moment where you know the next morning after Thelma enters the diner after Louise just said bye to Jimmy, Gina Davis comes in her hair looking absolutely insane like she just got like exactly what happened she just got rocked by brad pitt she comes in she's like oh i left him alone in the room with the money like why would you do that thelma why but after they go back to the room and they find the money gone louise kind of has her first real moment of just completely breaking down because she's really been the strong one up to this point and um the roles really do kind of reverse where Thelma is now like okay we got to get up we're gonna be fine we're gonna do this come on get in the car let's go and they drive to a convenience store and Gina Davis just gets out of the car leaves (laughs) leaves Louise in there to you know be sad and sullen and she robs the fucking store and we find out later it's exactly in the same way that Brad Pitt explained it to her how she robs people how he robs people so it's it's really it's kind of hilarious scene 
And it is kind of great to see Thelma really kind of take charge of the situation because up until that point, she has really kind of been the lamb that is shepherded by Louise. It's really the start of her like real evolution as the strong female character. Again, and I thought you were going to bring this up earlier, but this is a funny scene that doesn't include Thelma or Louise is uh, when they bring Brad Pitt into the station. Oh, my God. Yeah, because later on, obviously, the FBI ends up getting involved, right? And the FBI in this movie do catch up with Jimmy and question him as well as JD, and they bring him into the station. (laughs) And um, Chris McDonald is there. And as JD is passing Daryl, the husband, in the hallway... (laughs) What does he even say? Does he say like, oh, I like your wife? No, he's going, I fucked your wife. Oh, he did. He just said, I fucked your wife. (laughs) I wasn't sure. I didn't hear what he said. I was like, wait, did he say I like your wife or did he say I fucked her? And then Chris McDonald just proceeds to like jump over the railing to try to get at Brad Pitt. And while, meanwhile, Brad Pitt is just making like fucking noises and movements. (laughs) It's great. Good. (laughs) Fucking Um, asshole. Oh, it was so funny. But not only that, but like Harvey Keitel does such a good job when he's talking to JD. Oh yeah, that's a great fucking scene. He's great in the scene with JD. Though I'll say, like, it was the most obvious in that scene that he was putting on a Southern accent. Oh yeah, like in the other scenes, it's not so bad. But for whatever reason, in that particular scene with Brad Pitt, you could tell that he's clearly not a Southern guy, and he's trying to do a Southern accent. Maybe I think it dropped a couple of times, but yeah. It, I mean, it's fine. At that point, you don't care because you just want this guy to, like, succeed in whatever he wants to do because you know he's one of the only good fucking men in the movie. <laughs> also, just another instance where Chris McDonald is horrible. At one point, during their little road trip trying to go to Mexico, Louise has Thelma call Daryl and she's like, okay, you have to call him and find out if he knows anything. It, you know, if you feel like he knows anything, the police might be there. They might have tapped the phone, blah, blah, blah. So they go to a pay phone and Louise is like, okay, just call him and talk to him. And the second you feel like he knows something, hang up the phone. So she calls him and she's like, Daryl, it's me. And he goes, oh, hello, dear. And she immediately hangs up the phone and says he knows <laughs> because he's because uh, he said what he said. Hello. And that's how she knew. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, God. That's how bad of a husband you are, dude. This movie for being like dramatic and actiony has some good funny moments in it it really does yeah i think it's great because it cuts a lot of the dramatic moments because like a lot of bad shit happens to these ladies so you know what now that we're at kind of a a turning point in the movie because at at this point despite the fact that the girls know that the cops are on to them and that things are gonna just get more and more hairy as we go along here we're still we're still driving along we're still fighting for our freedom from the oppression of man and law coming down upon them. They're challenging themselves and they don't even know it. Uh, I don't know that. Young means. guns. You guys challenging yourselves and you don't even know it. Okay. All right, Emilio. <laughs> anyway, so uh, while we're at this turning point in the film where we're kind of getting slowly but surely towards our climax of all climaxes, I feel that now is a great time to get into one of our favorite segments called The, the Cast, Cast Could Have Been. So there's there's a lot to unpack here with the cast could have been in this movie. 
like I said, Hollywood in general at this time was very much not about, for the most part, making this movie about two badass bitches seeing the world and fighting the patriarchy, right? But, of course, that didn't stop some badass bitches from wanting these these roles and wanting to kill it. And um, I just I just wanted to discuss some of them with you because okay. I feel like they're very interesting. Okay. Who are we going with first? Let's start from the very beginning here. So our writer, our Oscar-winning writer, by the way, Callie Corey, when she wrote the script for the film, she had two specific ladies in mind for the roles. Okay. She had Holly Hunter and Frances McDormand in mind for the leads. I can see that. I could too. I feel like all of these cast could have been that we're going to get to are pretty dope, by the way. Next, these two ladies were initially chosen and accepted for the lead roles, but unfortunately pre-production took too long and they ended up having to drop out. Uh, initially, Michelle Pfeiffer and Jodie Foster were considered for Thelma and Louise. Okay, I'm, sh- I'm assuming... Pfeiffer as Thelma and Foster as Louise. I would assume so. And obviously, as we mentioned in the very beginning, Jodie Foster actually ended up being in Silence of the Lambs instead and getting an Oscar for that. So ultimately, it kind of worked out for the best. But then we have another duo that was considered to be in this movie. Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep for a while wanted to make a movie together. And Thelma and Louise was one of the scripts that they considered taking for this little venture that they wanted to do. Um, I feel like that would have been cool, too, obviously, because, like, Meryl Streep is the shit. Yeah. Goldie Hawn would have been interesting. I wonder how that would have changed her career taking a role, because I, again, assume she would be Thelma. Right, yeah. But I don't know if it would have changed her career that much. I mean... Just because, again, as as we get through this movie... Thelma changes into kind right. of a badass. Well, that's and I, true. Yeah. And I don't think Goldie Hawn ever got that. Yeah, she she does have a very like niche thing, like that she's she's always very much like the nice girl. Like, I get what you're saying, but actually they ended up doing Death Becomes Her instead, which I've never seen, but I've I've <laughs> heard things about it. I've seen the poster for that movie a million times. It's but a weird movie. Yeah, I've I've heard it's like a weird kind of cult movie. Yeah, I, I saw it a long time ago, but it's a weird, it's a weird movie. It's a weird Bruce Willis movie too. I was gonna say Bruce Willis is in that, right? Yeah. So I mean, ultimately, like Scott said at the very top, I think that Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis have a great chemistry together, and they they worked really well together. Actually, when I was doing my research, at one point, I read something about how I don't remember what scene it was. Maybe it was the Brad Pitt like sex scene or something. Somebody wanted Gina Davis to be topless at some point, and she didn't want to. So Susan Sarandon really kind of stepped up for her and kind of defended her. And eventually, obviously, there there was no topless scene. But yeah, I feel like probably during production of this movie, they became so close and sort of became like very Thelma and Louise towards each other. You know what I mean? Because these are two very strong women, two very talented actresses that had two very strong, great fucking roles in this movie and just shot this film out of the stratosphere. So yeah, ultimately I, I think the right decision was made for our Thelma and Louise but also, I had to mention cast could have been for another character, 
that we clearly have had uproarious discussion about, and that's JD. A lot of actors were considered for JD. Originally, actually, Billy Baldwin was cast, but he ended Ugh. up dropping out. Yeah. Obviously, a big part of the reason why Brad Pitt was chosen for this role was his hotness and his chemistry with Gina Davis. That's really the main crux of the film, which is actually, now that I think about it, a great kind of flip to like the normal formula, right? Because usually it's the guy in the center of the movie and then the female love interest just really is there as a tool to either propel the male main character forward and to have chemistry with him and to be hot for him. So it is kind of a nice change of pace to have young, hot eye candy in the form of Brad Pitt there to essentially service Gina Davis. Yeah. <laughs> there were other people considered, including RDJ. That um, worked. He he was actually cast, but then they put him up against Gina Davis and he was considered too short, so they let him go. <laughs> Which Gina Davis is pretty tall, so I get yeah. it. Yeah. And then Mark Ruffalo also auditioned. Interesting. George Clooney also auditioned yeah, multiple that. times. And then there was also chatter of Christian Slater, which is kind of funny because if you remember from our Heather's episode, the main male lead, JD, uh. is Christian Slater's character and Brad Pitt auditioned for that role. So now we cut, we, you know, cut to this movie Brad Pitt is the character of JD and Christian Slater lost the part to him. So that's kind of funny if it's true. But yeah, I think, listen, there's a reason that Brad Pitt is Brad fucking Pitt. I mean, he's obviously a talented guy and he's hot. So, I mean, yeah, he gets the job done, ladies. Well, I also think when you mentioned all those guys, like you mentioned Clooney, you mentioned Slater, they all have somewhat of a charm to them. But like you can buy Brad Pitt as this character so yeah, that that's our cast could have been... I mean, I gotta be honest, like we said, actually Scott said in the beginning, the cast is stacked. I mean, there's nobody that does a bad job in this movie. No, there's nobody I would actively be like, yeah, they oh, need no. to be gone. I mean, really, the, the main people driving the ship, obviously, are uh, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon, and they nail it in every way, shape, and form, so... And I think everyone around them supports them well. Yeah, absolutely. Michael Madsen... Harvey Keitel have kind of fallen into that supporting character kind of territory at this point. Like, Reservoir Dogs is different because that's a Harvey Keitel vehicle that doesn't happen without Harvey Keitel. Mm -hmm. But Madsen, even playing out of type, does a great job with his limited screen time. I don't even think he plays that out of character. I mean, he plays a nice guy, but he's also like a, you know... He's like a badass dude. Like, I'm a musician, man. I'm always on the road. Yeah, but I, I he's usually a bad guy. Yeah, I I get, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, a year from now, he's cutting off some dude's ears. Exactly. So I, I get it, yeah. Just stuck in the middle of you. Yes, we, we all know the scene. <laughs> so the girls are driving through New Mexico, and they get pulled over by a state trooper for speeding. And this is where Gina Davis has, like, her full-on rebirth as badass fucking bitch. Well, and their roles completely reverse because Louise is, like, a scared little fawn in the woods. And Gina Davis is, like, master of disaster in this movie in the best way. And suddenly fucking Gina Davis pulls out the gun. Just fucking... It's, it's really one of my favorite scenes because she's so polite about it. Both of them are. It's like... Officer... Now, I really, really apologize, but would you put your hands on the steering wheel? 
See, if you get on that radio, you're going to find out that we're wanted in two states and probably considered armed and dangerous. At least I am. And, and then our whole plan is just going to be all shot to hell. Gina Davis also says like a great line. She says to the cop, she, you know, they're going to put him in the trunk of the police car and lock him in there. And the guy's crying, of course. He's like, oh, I have a family. I have kids and a wife. And she's like, oh, well, you better be very nice to them, especially your wife. My husband wasn't nice to me. And look how I turned out. <laughs> they lock him in the trunk. They shoot out two air holes, which I think was very kind of, well, of Thelma. Oh, yeah, it's very kind. <laughs> it's, uh... Thelma and Louise get in the car and they drive away. And as they're driving away, Thelma's like, you know what, Louise? I got a real knack for this shit. I was like, you go. You go, Thelma. Oh, my God. They're, they're driving along and, you know, they know that the cops are after them and they're getting closer to their desired uh, destination. But they stop at this, like, roadhouse or something and um, they kind of have, like, a very solemn conversation where Louise is like, you know, Jimmy isn't really an option for me now I, I can't go back they're gonna charge me with murder it, you know I, I can't go back now it's done and Thelma says a, a line that's particularly powerful she says something's crossed over in me now I, I can't go back to who I used to be so they both kind of I feel like in this moment accept that like there's a good chance that we're either gonna get caught or we're gonna die from this ride or die and i feel like in that moment they maybe don't realize like the enormity of that realization but the fact that they're together they just kind of accept it and move on and then they're going to stick together and it's kind of like a bff girls moment where i'm like it just you know kind of makes me want to cry thinking about it because it's just so it's like no matter what happens we're in it together kind of thing and it makes me feel happy but also really sad for them so before the big to do at the end we have to have one more fuck you pig moment and then of course we run into our truck driver throughout the movie multiple times the girls have passed by this truck driver who is just repulsive he is making gestures at them waggling his nasty filthy tongue at them making disgusting comments and stuff and honking his horn at them as they're driving along towards this final stretch of road they pass this guy again they kind of nod him over to pull over on the side of the road basically in the middle of nowhere and uh <laughs> something something quite marvelous happens scott do you want to explain what happens at this this moment uh, they convince him to come out of his truck he goes over to them like yeah i'm about to get into a threesome with gina davis and susan sarandon Ew, oh not on your fucking life and they're Scumbag. like and they're like would you want somebody to do that to your mother or your sister and he's like what the fuck you you fucking bitches fuck you and then louise pulls out a gun and i'm curious what you thought in that moment did uh, you think she was gonna shoot him? oh yeah okay so she pulls out a gun and threatens him and he's like ah fuck you crazy bitches and then Thelma pulls out another gun and they demand that he apologize and when he refuses to apologize they turn their guns onto the fuel tanker of his truck and give it a few pew pew pews they also like blow out his tires and 
when they hit the fuel tank, it explodes and they drive away laughing while the guy is like screaming. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a magical moment. Now, I do want to bring up this guy, whatever accent he's trying to put on. Oh, he's doing like the most overdramatic, dirtiest, grossest Southern accent. <laughs> it's terrible. The like, only thing we're missing is him. His shirt is above his belly button. He's picking his belly button as he's walking over to Gina Davis. Right. It's like really obnoxious, but like that's the point of it, obviously. So it's forgivable, I suppose. But uh, I I do like that the girls kind of had one final hurrah in sticking it to the general penis of this movie. But yeah, it it's a good it's a good little thing. We get the their laugh like, oh, I didn't know you knew how to shoot so well. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, and this is where we get our big action chase now. Yeah. So the cops track them down on the road, and uh, yeah, th- this is this is the big moment we're getting to, guys. So you know, hang hang on to your hats, okay? Because uh, they don't. They don't. Yeah, they certainly don't. They're being chased around. And somehow these girls ended up at the Grand Canyon. Don't ask me how. I'm not a geographer. The point is they're at a big hole in the fucking ground. <laughs> and um, they're about 100 yards away from the edge of the Grand Canyon. A line of police cars is right behind them up their ass telling them to drop their weapons and get out of the car. The feds won't let Hal talk to... Thelma and Louise and as they're sitting in their car overlooking the Grand Canyon Thelma turns to Louise and says let's keep going and Louise is like are you sure? Thelma goes yep and Louise leans over gives Thelma a big kiss they hold hands and they proceed to fly over the fucking Grand Canyon seemingly to their deaths because the the screen fades to white as they're flying over the Grand Canyon in their car. And it's like the most powerful, beautiful moment because they they don't want to get caught. They're like, I'm not I'm not getting caught. If we're going to go out, we're going out on our own terms. <sighs> but yes, this is the moment that obviously everybody knows about. Like they fly over in the cliff. It's been parodied a million times. It's been referenced. Everybody knows the ending to this movie, which is why I feel like some people may not want to see the movie because they know how it ends, which I get because I've been there with certain movies myself. But like, it it doesn't matter. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey, damn it. It is. And then next week, we're going to do Velma and Louise 2, where they they land in the river. (laughs) No, I don't think there's a river in the Grand Canyon, is there? Yeah. Oh, it's just, but it, it's like mostly rock, though. Yeah, but there's... The, I don't think a, a, a sliver of river is going to save... A sliver well, of river. <laughs> I don't think a sliver of river is going to save them well, they're gonna land, from imminent death. Well, they're going to land in the river and this just This isn't float. the Goofy movie. They don't float on the car singing songs to each other. Oh, my God. That'd be great if they landed in the river and suddenly <laughs> Max and Goofy were there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. First, before we get into the fuckery that went into this ending of this movie i just want to know like your perspective of it scott because obviously you went into this movie knowing the ending and the ending is such a a controversial and big part of the movie how did you feel watching the movie knowing where it was going to end knowing where it's going to end it's not that big of a deal for this movie i feel like because you're right it is about the journey a lot of times when you do know the end like oh oh he can see ghosts bruce willis is dead 
Um, mm-hmm. like, that's why I didn't see the sixth sense <laughs> for the longest time. Exactly. Like when you know something like that, mm-hmm. that's like a, that's it's like a, a big twist. Yeah. That's like a big deal. But for this one, knowing that, oh, they're going to die here jumping off the cliff. It's not as big of a deal. And following these, these characters along this journey was still very, I was going to say fun. <laughs> not not fun in the ha-ha way. It's a good movie following them along right. this journey and watching these two characters grow and change along this whatever four or five day journey. Mm. It's about the performances, the acting, the, the cinematography. It's, it's just a beautiful movie. And just because you know the end doesn't mean, you know, you're not going to get something out of this. And I think, as Frankie said, it's a great movie for women but even if you're not a woman, it's still a great fucking movie. Right. If you're not a snowflake, that's like, why did they hate men so much? <laughs> Fuck you. Anyway. <laughs> um, but I do want to like get into like the the end of this movie and how out of the box it was. Um, because a lot of studios had a problem with the ending when the script was being shot, uh, shopped around. A lot of people did not want it to change the ending and even but, Ridley at one point wanted to slightly change the ending. But it, the thing is, it's just, it is basically Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Right, exactly, yeah. That's exactly what this is, just without the hail of gunfire. Right, well, that's kind of the point that, like, proponents of this film, like the writer Callie Corey made the point, and, like, other people made the point that, like, it, you know, in a movie where there were two male leads in this exact situation it would be seen a totally different way them killing themselves. But because it's two females, it's, it's seen as something that shouldn't be done. But um, yeah, a lot of people just didn't get the point of it and the power behind that ending. Uh, thankfully Ridley did the, the one thing that he was considering for a time was that as they're driving over, Louise reaches over and pushes Thelma out of the car. She drives over. He was considering that for a moment to the point where when Susan Sarandon was in talks to do this movie, she literally said to Ridley Scott, I'm only going to do this if I die at the end. And Ridley's like, oh, you're going to die. You're definitely going to die. It's just I'm questioning whether Thelma's going to die or not, but you're going to die. <laughs> Which I just love that. I'm like, Susan Sarandon is like the baddest ass bitch. Like just thinking about that version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I feel like I get it. Because it, because Thelma's change as a character is new, right? She's kind, of, she's kind of got a new lease on life now. This this new her has been reborn, right? But so, her, Louise pushing Thelma out of the car would have been giving her a chance to live a life as this new person. But it wouldn't because if we go over this movie, I mean, she she would have been arrested for armed robbery though. Armed robbery. <laughs> Probably, and like uh, assault and you know assaulting a police officer we yeah obviously this ending is better right but i get the idea of like what ridley was possibly thinking doing the alternate ending i'm glad they didn't go that route because this is obviously more powerful and stronger and much 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 better ending um that thankfully most people who saw this movie dug it obviously and were like on board with it so yeah I'm glad they went the route that they went with it and they stuck to their guns. I agree. But yeah, man, that was Thelma and Louise. I love this movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Some of the best 
movies, some of the best art out there in general uh, is involved in a lot of controversy, a lot of chatter, a lot of chitter and chatter. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's art and it says something. It says something powerful. And that's what movies and art in general is about. Just expressing yourself and expressing powerful messages and also entertaining people and making them happy sad laugh cry all that good stuff and this movie does like literally all of that so i love it yeah i definitely think this movie even if you know the ending or you listen to our podcast and you're like oh should i go see this you should go see this it's fun it's a good time we literally just bought it in a double feature package with bull durham Oh, yeah, I saw that online on Amazon. I found a double feature with Thelma and Louise and Bull Durham. I'm like, well, that is just too convenient. I have to get that. <laughs> and uh, I think no matter who you are and where you are in the stage of life, you'll get something out of this. Uh, you'll think about your best friend who you ride or die with, and uh, you'll have a good time. Yes, I completely agree. So, Scott... Tell me, how did you rate this movie out of five stars? I gave it a four out of five. This particular film, Thelma and Louise, is a definite must-see. I also gave it a four out of five stars. I'm glad to have revisited it. I'm glad that I now own it. Uh, and Yeah, I would watch it again even now. Um, it, it was just an awesome time, and it really... It makes you think. It's one of those movies that entertains you, but it also makes you think, and that's the best kind of movie, in my opinion. So, yeah. Next week. Next week. Scotty will be showing me a movie that uh, I have never seen before. Um, as the premise of the show is. Yes, and it's it's going to be interesting because it's going to be another sports movie, and we all know how I love those. <laughs> so, until then, this has been Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our sporty, super duper movie adventure. Ride or die. Oh, yeah.